Human beings have this ability, given by the grace of God, to pray. The saint and the sinner can pray. And the, the mystery of it, the, the wonder of it, the, the power of God through it, I, wouldn't, I don't like to say power of prayer, because it's not prayer that's the power, it's God that gives the power through the prayers. But just to unpack more of prayer in the next couple of weeks, because now more than ever, we need to be talking about prayer. It's one of the most vital things we could ever do. We do not just pray or only pray or things like that or just say, you know, sending thoughts and prayers. Remember people used to like laugh about that and make fun of that as if that was somehow low and what are we could do. But in reality, it's maybe the most important thing we could do. John Wesley taught that it's actually through the prayers of God's people that God changes human history, that our prayers have a huge role to play in the world every single day. Uh, and there's a mystery to that, and I am the designated religious person up here, and I don't fully understand that, and I'm okay with that, because if we could see what happens when we pray, we would never cease to pray. If you could see what was going on when your prayers were happening, you would never stop praying, because it, God changes the world and people through your prayers, and so, in the, in, in the world we live in right now, we need to be praying. In the United Methodist Church, we need to be praying more than ever. It's very critical we learn how to pray and pray in ways that, that I think that God wants to lead us in. So, in the coming weeks, you'll be hearing about intercessory prayer, um, travailing prayer. That's what that little green book is kind of about. Um, how to grow in your own personal prayer life and, and grow in spiritual discernment. And so today you're going to hear about Saul, who would turn into the Apostle Paul, and a person named Ananias, who would lay hands on Saul and pray for him, and really change history and church history through Ananias's personal prayers of obedience. Now, when you have been asked to pray before, before a meal maybe, or you've been asked to pray before a meeting, uh, you want to be obedient to that call, right? You, you don't, you know, well, maybe some people freak out when you ask them to pray in public. They just kind of freeze up. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do with their hands. They, you know, it can be intense, you know, so, but maybe you've been asked to be obedient in that moment, right? You've been asked to pray before whatever, and you've r tried to rise to the occasion. It reminds me of a story of the 1986 uh, Super Bowl champion, the Chicago Bears, I know you were not expecting to hear about this when a sermon on prayer this morning. 1986, that, that, that uh, iconic team, Coach Mike Ditka, bad boy uh, Jim McMahon, quarterback, remember him? And the six foot two, 350 pound defensive lineman, William the Fridge Perry. That's a big guy. That's a big guy. And uh, as a lot of football teams do, they have a chapel service, they have a chaplain. And the chaplain went up to Ditka at one point and said, hey, will you find a player to pray the Lord's Prayer before the chapel service? He said, yeah, I'll do that. So he went up to the fridge and said, fridge, will you pray the Lord's Prayer before the service? And uh, he said, yeah, coach, I'll do that, absolutely. So he gets up to pray the Lord's Prayer. And Jim McMahon leans over to Ditka and says, coach, he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Don't ask him to do that. He's like, he's fine, he'll do fine. So the fridge gets up, all right, guys, quiet down, quiet down. We're gonna, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Everyone quiets down. He bows his head. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. McMahon leans over to Ditka and says, oh, he does know the Lord's Prayer. 
football players. So it's one thing to be obedient in public to pray, and that's, that's good. It's one thing to be obedient in our personal lives when God brings someone to mind to pray for a situation to pray for and be obedient. Maybe hit your knees right then. But have you ever had to pray for someone that participated in the deaths of people that you know? Have you ever been asked by God to go and personally lay hands on someone that contributed to your friends being thrown in prison, right? Then the dynamics change of that prayer. Then it becomes personal. Then your own personal safety is involved. And that's exactly what Ananias has been asked to do as we're gonna see today. This great step of faith that Ananias is being charged to go and pray a personal prayer of obedience. And this is in Acts um, chapter nine. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he would bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light light from, from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? He's answering his own question. (laughs) Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized and was taking some food and he regained his strength. So it's an incredible story because Saul literally has his prayers answered. He literally is praying for somehow for his sight to be restored, for him to get an answer about he's confused He doesn't know what's going on. And the Lord literally sends specifically a person by name that tells him who is gonna come help him. That reminds me of, I told a story a few years ago when I worked at a a Christian camp called CCC as a director. Um, One night the cook, the camp cook, made uh, cornbread for all of us in the camp and um, there was a lot left over. And so the cook said, what should I do with it? She said, I'll put in the lunches for the campers tomorrow and they'll take it out in work sites. We're fixing up houses. 
and the youth and the adults can take it for lunch. I said, great, sure. So they took it out to the camps, the work sites. Well, then that night, the groups come back and they share about their day. And, and one group got up and said, hey, today we were sharing our lunch with the lady, the home we were working on. And, and we started to pass out food and we passed her some cornbread. And as soon as she held the cornbread, she started to cry. And they said to her, well, it, it might be a little bit dry, but it's okay. You could, it might taste, still taste pretty good. And she said, no, 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 it's not that. She said, I've been so poor and sick, I've not been able to get out of the house to go to the store. And I literally, I prayed to God the night before that he would send me cornbread. It's a true story. And the Lord, <laughs> Lord sent her cornbread. He literally delivered it to her door. And so here's Saul praying. He's not praying, send me cornbread. He's saying, help me see. I don't know what's going on. I'm confused. And so here you see this triangle of, of the Lord and Saul and Ananias. And the Lord is like the networking point. He is directing this whole interaction that he is orchestrating this story. If Ananias had said no, he would have sent somebody else. The Lord will get what the Lord wants and do what he wishes. So here's Saul, who's easily one of the most dramatic conversion experiences ever recorded in history. He had literally sees a flashing light. He's transformed. He's blinded. He doesn't eat anything for three whole days. And Saul, I mean, Paul would later write about his life before Damascus. You get to read, Paul would kind of reflect on his life before he became a Christ follower. And, and, and you know there had to be a little bit of, bit, not bitterness, but um, bittersweet to his thoughts and his feelings because he was literally persecuting the church before he was converted. I mean, he was literally participating in the deaths and imprisonment of a lot of people. And so then he gets this 180. And so he would write about like this in like Philippians chapter three. He gets um, almost like an autobiography where he says things like this. If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a member of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, the priestly tribe. I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. The law, I was a Pharisee. Zeal, a persecutor of the church. You know that sentence was hard for him to write. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. There's no one higher on the religious scale than Saul at that time. Saul was there when Stephen was stoned to death. He was holding the coats of the men who did it. Acts chapter eight tells us that Saul was literally going house to house, pulling people out of their homes, men and women and children, and dragging them and putting them in prison where they would probably be tortured and maybe put to death. So Saul was, was not just a bad person, I mean, he was literally persecuting people for religious reasons. And he was doing it in the name of God. As so he thought. He was justified. But something would happen to Saul that would then lead him to write these words in Philippians 3. Yet whatever gains I had on the religious world, he was rich. He had a lot of wealth and influence. Whatever gains I had, I've come to regard these as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The word loss there is what the Greek word we would get for rubbish or poo-poo. <laughs> He's saying, I regard all of that as excrement, as waste, because of the value of knowing Christ. So whatever happened to him on that Damascus road so radically transformed his worldview that nothing was ever the same for him. So what happened to Saul? Damascus happened. The Lord happened. 
grace and discipline from him happened. And personal prayers of obedience from Ananias happened. The Lord used Ananias. So to put it mildly, Saul is completely broken. He's a spiritually broken man. He's not this ardent, righteous crusader. He hasn't eaten or drinking anything for three days. He's blind. He's been silenced by the Lord. And the Lord in his wisdom knew this was the only way maybe I could get through to this guy. To show him, to make him look inward and ask hard questions about his whole tight religious worldview that was hateful and oppressive and really ultimately evil in the way he approached it. So his prayers were desperate. Saul's prayers. They had to be desperate. What would your prayers sound like if you had been struck blind and you hadn't eaten or had anything to drink for three days? Saul essentially was placed in his own solitary confinement and he was desperate. And whatever his prayers sounded like, God heard his prayers. Christians at that time were saying, hey, you know what? The Lord told us to pray for those who persecute us. So I'm sure they prayed for Saul, right? He told us to love our enemies. So we better love him as best we can, even though he's killing our friends. So I'm sure they were praying for Saul. But whatever Saul's prayers were, God heard them. That's important. Because Saul's a wicked guy. God hears the prayers of the righteous and the unrighteous. The saint and the sinner. He doesn't, there's no, there's no, um, there's no judgment in how God interprets that. Prayers of a repentant heart, God always hears. A, a contrite spirit, the Lord says, I will not deny. But a haughty and prideful spirit, God says, I'm opposed. I come against pride because I can't work with that. You're, you're not gonna hear me anyway because you're so stuck on yourself. But unless you're, you're humbled before me, then you're gonna hear my voice. And so Saul gets humbled to the point where he is literally looking for Ananias' arrival. Okay, oh, Anaya, this guy named Ananias is coming. He, he, if, if he could see, he'd be looking out the window. He'd be ready for the ring doorbell to go off. Uh, where's Ananias? He told me he's coming. The Lord told me Ananias is coming. See, the Lord always hears desperate prayer. Desperate prayer. See, the Bible has no understanding of casual, non-conformist, easy sort of prayer. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. Desperate, a desperate people who were hungry for the things of God. And Ananias knew, I've got to honor the Lord in this. He's appeared to me in a waking dream. He was awake. He had a vision. So a vision is really what a waking dream is, that he was going about his day, playing with his kids, making coffee, cutting his grass, if they had grass, you know, doing, fixing some mud on the walls. I don't know what he... But he, the Lord appears to him and says, go. I'm going to specifically tell you where to go. And Ananias' response makes sense. You want me to go to that guy? That guy could kill me. But as soon as Ananias entered the house, he could see this guy, this is a pitiful person. He's not gonna hurt anybody. And so what does he do? He goes in faith and does what he's told to do and lay hands on him, physically laying hands. Now, in the Christian church, this is an ancient tradition of the laying on of hands. Today at 11 o'clock, we have 21 confirmands that will be confirmed into the church. Isn't that great, by the way? Um, and we lay hands on them. When you're baptized, we lay hands on you. It, this, it, there's, there's a mystery to that. Because the Lord, you would think, could have just said, 
I'll just drop the scales off Saul's eyes myself and do it, right? But he chooses to use a physical person to accomplish God's will, these personal prayers of being obedient. It's just like Jesus, when he heals people, sometimes he'd heal from a distance. Other times, most of the time, he always touches people. He always physically touches. He puts mud on the blind man's eyes. He touches the deaf man's ears. He touches the leper. He's not afraid of any of that stuff, right? Thankfully, and we shouldn't be either, he physically would touch people to heal. There's power in that. It's really the difference of someone saying to you, hey, or you email them and be like, I'll pray for you, I'm praying for you. Text, I'm praying for you. And that's good, and you probably do. But compare that to someone going, I'm gonna pray for you right now, right? Stop where you are, we're gonna pray together in person, right? There's really, there's, it's not even, there's no comparison, right? To the experience of that. To, not that it's the emotion of it, but I'd say even the spiritual power of it. That's, that's where phones break down. This is where technology doesn't help us. Because we feel so connected to people but disconnected at the same time. Because there's no comparison to being really in person with a person, right? You're not yourself by yourself. And that, that physical touch, that being with someone. Like I remember one time I went to visit someone in the hospital many years ago who was very ill. And they were, they were actually strapped down to the table and, uh, for a variety of reasons. And uh, I, whenever I pray for people, I always pray and, and will err on the side of healing, I'm gonna go for it, right? I'm gonna pray that God's gonna heal this person and it's up to him. So I physically laid hands on this person and anointed them with oil with, on their forehead and prayed for them. And within a few weeks, they were home. You know, and that's not about me, it's about the Lord, but he did it. There's power when we physically touch and we, we, we do this. So this is what Ananias is doing. He's saying, I'm gonna be obedient in faith even if I have to go through the fire. God will not test you with evil. Let me say that again. Only the devil does that. God doesn't test us with evil. He doesn't want evil in our lives. It's only, the, only Satan that t- tempts people with evil. But the Lord will test us with obedience. That, that's kind of a deep thing. He tests us with obedience. If, if Okay, I'm gonna ask you to do this. Will you be obedient to it, even if it doesn't make sense? Even if it sounds crazy? Even if it maybe could go against your own personal safety? Will you be obedient to my, to my, to my call? Not, not to ruin your life, but actually to, I mean, through the wonder of it, to use you to fulfill the purposes of God in the world. And that's what Jesus does here with Ananias. I want you to go and lay hands on him, and this is what happens. The scales fall off of his eyes. Something like scales. It's the best Luke can do here with what is being described. And Saul's life is changed forever. Saul and Paul. Now, Saul was the most unlikely convert to Christianity ever to that point. They never expected Saul to come around. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But <laughs> when, when Saul comes, comes to, and then the church, he goes to the church there in Damascus, Luke records that a lot of people were skeptical. I think this guy's faking. I think he's a spy, right? And who would blame them? This guy's going to turn on us. How can we trust him? And it took time. It was so bad in Damascus, he eventually goes to Jerusalem where the apostles get to kind of inspect him and, and vote on this person. Should we let him do what we, he's claiming God has called him to do? Because this guy was a thug. This guy was taking us out. But shortly after that, of course, they warm up to him and they vote him in. And he begins his missionary activities in the book of Acts. 
This is the, the kicker here. That God loves to use the most unlikely of people and situations for his glory. He loves to use the people that were absolutely last and make them first. The people who are the lowest of society and raise them up. He loves to take the people that are in chains and throw them off for his glory. Why? To show that he's the one that does it. He's the one that it changes the lives. Nothing else. It's all because of him. Think of it this way. The next future Billy Graham could be drunk at a nightclub tonight down the street. I know that sounds scandalous, okay? But every saint has a past. They're just people. Every saint has a past in history, just like me and you. The next Jonathan Edwards might be driving in front of you with a Darwin bumper sticker fish with feet on the bottom. The next John Wesley might be a misogynistic, profanity-spewing musical artist. The next Mother Teresa might be a heroin-addicted person in in our city. The next Augustine of Hippo might be involved with a sexually permissive cult. Because come to think of it, Augustine was involved with a sexually permissive cult before he became a Christian. The Spirit of God can turn around anyone's life. And I think it gives God joy to do so. I think it gives him such just, he just bursting to see these new lives be emerged. Because every scar you and I have, they tell a story. Every mess of your past, it can be a message. And every test we've been through can be a testimony. So when Paul would go preaching to the Jews throughout the book of Acts, they would listen to him because they knew who he was. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Pharisees. And they were listening to his message. Even the Gentiles did as well. Before the saints of history became that, someone was praying for them. Somebody, somewhere, had a burden for you and for me and for them. And whatever you're burdened for in prayer, pay attention, is God giving you that burden. That's your calling. If you're burdened for the nation of Africa, if you're burdened for drilling wells, if you're burdened for the homeless, if you're bur- well, you go on and on. If you can't shake that burden, God has given it to you. If you're burdened for your, your children or your grandchildren that are wayward, don't let go. That burden is given to you by God to keep praying, to keep knocking, to keep seeking because God can change anyone's life from Saul to Paul. And because they prayed for Saul, look at what happened. Who knows what could happen if you and I would continue to pray personal prayers of obedience. And you could be listening to me today wherever you are or in the room, and you're, you're thinking, I need, I've never had that. I've never had God change my life. It's not just about emotion, but I've never experienced the, the new birth that you're describing. If that's you, I'm gonna pray for you in a little bit. And I'd love, I'd love to be able to pray for you during communion, to lay hands on you and pray for you. And if you're listening to me today and you're a believer, which most of us are, I encourage you to pray for the worst person you know, the lowest person on society that you know. Because who knows what God will do through your prayers of obedience. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, this table is intended for those who know that they're not where they should be. So you're in good company this morning.